This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. The founder of this company, 10 years ago, was trying to sell his house. He's, you know, he's kind of an important guy. And he said to his wife, if this is what it's like for us, how do people who have no clout ever get around this? So he started a company and it went into business, I think, three years ago. Their deal is, their word is their bond. And they are people that listen to this show. They are just like you. Now, how can I say that? Because I'm the founder of the company. Realestateagentsitrust.com. And now, the Blaze Radio Network presents 40 Acres and a Fool. Here's your host, Cam Edwards. Greetings from the near frontier and welcome to another edition of 40 Acres and a Fool from the Blaze Radio Network. I'm Cam Edwards. I'm actually not on the near frontier this week, though I'm uh, just outside of Washington, D.C. in beautiful, not bucolic, uh, northern Virginia. Glad that you've joined us. We've got a great show for you. Unfortunately, Miss E is not here with me today, but uh, tell you what, we got it done this past weekend. You know, ordinarily on this show, we talk about, come on, we talk about all the things we didn't get done, and ah, here's here we fell behind. So I am very pleased and proud to report that uh, last weekend we worked our rears off, and uh, we got, I think... Back on track uh, to the point where you know we're 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 on schedule for uh, our garden adventures this year. The uh, back garden uh, is rototilled now. Uh, the pigs have cleared out a space that. So we thought we were going to move the we we moved the pigs. Uh, we've got five of them now, and we're probably going to get down to a two here in the next week or so. But we had moved them, you know, so that they could clear out a garden space. The space that we moved them to should be okay but we've got a lot of uh, rocks in our soil and as the uh, hogs have eaten down the grass they've exposed a lot of these big rocks uh, on the uh, on or very near the surface of the ground so we'll see how well this garden spot actually goes Uh, we can't put our tomatoes and our potatoes back where they used to be because we had tomato blight last year so we have to move uh, that part of the garden over somewhere uh the other option if we can't get into the garden here if we can't dig down deep enough before we end up running into the rocks we can uh there is another spot that the hogs had sort of cleared out the dirt is really compacted uh but it seems to be not quite as uh rocky so fingers crossed that uh, we can actually you know clear out that space and get uh, plants in the ground Uh, Probably not this weekend for the tomatoes and the cucumbers and the peppers and and things of that nature. Our frost date is uh, May 1st. I I think would be okay, but I'll probably wait. We did have a hard freeze uh, last weekend, actually, and took out. I was was really concerned. Um, I thought our little apple trees might be affected. They were fine. Uh, The blueberry bushes were fine. There were a couple of our locust trees that uh, appears to have been... uh, uh, killed off the the leaves anyway. Uh, we'll see if they come back this year. But um, I was I was pleased that we got through the uh, the hard freeze without too much damage. But now it's time we can put down our uh, beets and our onions, uh, garlic. We can put down some of our squash, Brussels sprouts. We have to go, but those are a fall crop, so we'll uh, leave those for a, a few months. We'll leave the pumpkins for a few months. So. Yeah, hopefully uh, on the next edition of 40 Acres and a Fool, I'll actually be able to tell you about putting 
some seeds in the ground here for the first time because that's the plan for this weekend when the uh, weather is supposed to cooperate and uh, hopefully be able to spend another good portion of the weekend outside. It's it you know it's nice when you have to spend weekends outside when the weather actually cooperates, right? And now that it's springtime, it's a little bit warmer. Nights are a little bit longer. And you can hang out on the front porch drenched in sweat and grime after you've been working outside all day and you can have a nice beer. Uh, that That's a good time of year. It's much better than, you know, having to go outside and work when it's January and it's 10 degrees and you freeze your ear off. I'm not a big fan of the winter. I uh, I always welcome the start of spring. Now, in addition to the garden work this weekend, we also uh, were able to sell the last of the uh, goats this year that we will be selling. We have one left in the house that uh, my youngest daughter is raising. Uh, she will not live in the house forever, thankfully. As a matter of fact, she's probably going to be going outside this weekend. So this baby goat that we have right now, mostly Nigerian dwarf, but has a little bit of seinen. Uh, in her as well and so she's a little bit taller than the average dwarf nigerian goat so she uh, the 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 other little ones that we had they were mostly uh, i think they were they were 100 percent dwarf nigerian uh after about two weeks they were big enough that they could kind of hop out of this baby crate area that we've set up in our house with this one toffee as my uh, daughter named her after about a week she was able to uh, to jump out so We've been taking her outside a lot. Uh, thankfully, again, the weather has been nice, but it's time. It's time for her to get out of my house. She has bonded with my daughter, though. It's actually pretty cute to uh, to watch them, uh, and she'll follow her around the yard. And it's a girl and her goat, kind of like a boy and his dog, but uh, we've got a girl and a goat. We'd also have a boy and his dog. Actually, we've got a couple of dogs and a couple of boys, so it all works out. So I would love to hear how your garden is coming along here. The email address, as always, is 40acrefool, 40acrefool at gmail.com. You can follow me on Twitter as well, at Cam Edwards. Uh, on Instagram, uh, it's at Cam Edwards. It is also at Corny Goat Farm. If you want to check out uh, Miss E's pictures, she's there during the day when I am uh, sometimes stuck in a studio somewhere. So uh, lots of pictures between the two of us there on our Instagram accounts. And we'll be checking in with several of you over the course of the program this week. But we also, I don't know if you've seen this story. I was talking about it a little bit uh, on Twitter this week. Up in New York, uh, East Setauket, New York, there's a farm called uh, Benner's Farm. The Benner family has been there since 1977. Apparently, they are the seventh family uh, to occupy this uh, farm space since the 18th century. And last weekend, uh, if you had driven by Benner's Farm, you would have seen about 20 people standing outside holding signs protesting this small family farm. Why? Because these folks, uh, many of whom live around the Benner Farm, don't want the Benners to slaughter their two-year-old cow, Minnie, for food. And they are protesting the decision of this family farm to eat one of their cows. Can you believe this? Newsday. 
Headley story, debate over the cow's fate began last week, pitting local animal lovers who want to buy many so she can spend the remainder of her life at a sanctuary against the Benner family who have owned and operated the farm since 1977. Listen, there's no debate. There's no debate. These these uh, protesters, these local animal lovers, don't have a say. And by the way, they're out there protesting the small family farm as opposed to uh, big ag, right? This isn't. This is not your usual animal rights debate. This is a little weird. Newsday uh, said response from the passers-by was mixed. Uh, one woman stopped in her sport utility vehicle Sunday afternoon. Said, "I think you're going to hear an uproar from the community. This is just so sad." Minutes later, another f- uh, woman drove up and debated the protesters. It's a farm. It's an honest living. You're out of your mind, she said to one of the protesters. Now the organizer. Uh, of this campaign uh, to to save a cow that doesn't belong to them uh, is uh, Kimberly Sheraton of uh, Comic New York. She said she started the campaign to save many after attending a birthday party at the 15-acre farm uh, where visitors can pick organically grown strawberries, learn to milk a goat, and take part in gardening workshops. Sheraton said, I, brought, I broke down crying when I heard that they were going to kill that cow. She's so affectionate and playful. She licks like a puppy dog, and she's treated like a pet. Uh-huh. Uh, Jody Flynn of East Yapank uh, criticized the ads for Brenner's Farm, which says that visitors can pet and cuddle animals, leading her to believe that the farm was a petting zoo. Flynn said, how can you let children pet and cuddle these animals and then turn around and have them slaughtered? It's heartless. So... <laughs> Now, I don't think either of these uh, individuals actually live on a farm. Um, so this is one of the problems here. Think about what this this uh, think about what Jody Flynn actually just said. Their ads say that you can pet and cuddle animals. They don't say anything that you can slaughter these animals. They just say that you can pet and cuddle them. How can you let children pet and cuddle these animals and then turn around and have them slaughtered? It's heartless. No, it's not. Because what's the alternative? These animals would not be on this farm unless they served a useful purpose for the family, caring for them. Right? Some, 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 look, I, I, I guess if you're Michael Jackson, you could afford a, a menagerie of animals. You're going to have your whole flipping zoo, right? And I'm sure we've got plenty of uh, people out there who have uh, the appearance of a working farm and instead they're just, you know, it's just animals to cuddle. They're not actually working animals. This is a working farm. The animals on Benner Farm are there for a reason, right? They get milk from the goats, they get eggs from the chicken, they get meat from the cow. So how is it heartless to let children pet and cuddle these animals and then turn around and have them slaughtered? How is it heartless? Isn't that, isn't that good for the animal to ensure that the animal has a happy, healthy life while they're here? And then when it comes time to Turn that animal into nutritious, delicious food. You feel good about the life that uh, that they had on the farm compared to the lives of most cows across the country. That's not heartless. It's caring. 73-year-old Bob Benner told Newsday that he is straightforward with his visitors that his farm is not a petting zoo. Now, there's a uh, Save Many from Slaughter Facebook page uh, that has gotten hundreds 
of responses. And the uh, leader of this uh, protest movement says that a New Jersey animal sanctuary is willing to take the cow. So what? The, the Benners are willing to eat the cow. Bob Benner said, this is a working farm. I raise the best food that I can for my family. I don't raise the animals in crowded feeding lots or in unsanitary conditions, and we're not going to change because someone is unhappy with that. What's amazing to me about this, the most amazing thing about this, there are a lot of things that are just mind-boggling, but here you have people who are willing to pay Bob Benner to buy his cow, to move it to an animal sanctuary, so that Bob can use that money to then go down to the grocery store and buy some steaks and hamburgers for his family, from a cow that he didn't raise, from a cow that he knows nothing about, from a cow that was uh, uh, brought up and raised in a uh, agricultural environment that that Bob doesn't practice, and these individuals who are so full of self-righteousness, caring for a cow that doesn't belong to them, caring about a cow, excuse me, not caring for, caring about a cow that doesn't belong to them, that they don't actually care for. They're sad because this animal that they've seen uh, in the the pasture is not going to be there anymore, and they've become used to seeing many there in the pasture. You know... I don't have a great deal of sympathy for these folks because, again, it's not their cow. But I can guarantee you that for the Benner family, there, there's still that um, probably a bittersweet moment, I guess, is the, the best way to describe it. When it comes time uh, to take an animal that you have raised, that you have truly cared for, uh, and it, it when it's time to turn that animal into food when it's time for that life to end and for that cow or for that hog or for that goat or for that chicken uh, to make the transition from living creature to meal. I know for me, there's a bittersweet moment. And I know for Miss E, there's a bittersweet moment. But here's the thing. I'm not willing, I don't want to stop eating meat. I'm not going to not eat chicken. I'm not going to give up hamburgers. I'm not going to give up bacon. I don't want to. I don't have to. Uh, And in fact, I think it's okay. I think it's good to have those experiences, to have those bittersweet moments, those difficult moments where you actually truly do, again, think about the food that's going in your belly uh, a little bit more than you do when you're just wandering the aisles of the grocery store. I've never been to the Benner Farm. I uh, don't know what the conditions are like. I did send them an email this week, uh, an email of support saying, you go and stand your ground. Uh, But it sounds like it's a beautiful place. Sounds like it is, you know, if if, if it's open to the public, people can walk in. They can, you know, pick berries and feed baby goats. It sounds like uh, it's a pretty clean, uh, bright, uh, lovely place for these animals to live. But it is still a farm. And at the end of the day, uh, it is about producing food. Either for people who want to come buy the food or for the family that lives there. So I would love to hear your thoughts on this. Uh, How do we get to this point where people are protesting what their neighbors are eating for dinner? 
They're protesting a family taking a cow that they've raised and turning it into steak and hamburger. How do we get here? And, and where do we go from here? You know, you can't really call it, you can't call out the cops. You don't want to call out the cops, but you want to have a conversation. You want to be able to, to talk with your neighbors. You want to have a, a, a discussion about this that leads to some sort of understanding. Unfortunately, it sounds like these protesters don't want to understand. They want to be right. They want to be full of self-righteousness. They want to be good. They want to be better than that awful family taking a pet and turning it into food. But for the family, it was never a pet. As much as they uh, might have appreciated that animal being there, as, as much as it might have brightened their day to see the cow out in the field, they're also thinking about the food that that animal will bring. The, uh, the neighbors, the protesters, they're, they're not. And because they won't get to eat that steak, they won't get to have a burger. Uh, the only benefit that they derive from many is that uh, visual benefit. The warm fuzzies that they get when they see this cow. Now many of the cows going away. Anyway, I'd love to know your thoughts on this. Send us an email. Tell me what you think. Ping me on uh, Twitter and uh, let me know as well. Stick around. We are just getting started here on this edition of 40 Acres and a Fool from the Blaze Radio Network. We'll be back with more right after this. 40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards on the Blaze Radio Network. The founder of this company, 10 years ago, was trying to sell his house and went through real estate agent after real estate agent, and they were all talking a great game. And this guy who is selling his house, the founder of this, uh, this company, he's, you know, he's kind of an important guy and kind of, you know, should get the best treatment. And he said to his wife, if this is what it's like for us, how do people who have no clout ever get around this? So he started a company. And it went into business, I think, three years ago. Their deal is, their word is their bond. And they are just like you. Now, how can I say that? Because I'm the founder of the company. We have a 1,000 agents across the country. And they are people that listen to this show. And so when you go through real estate agents I trust, it's sent to somebody who already, you already know their sensibilities. They already are cut from exactly the same cloth. There's got to be a better way. There is. Real estate agents, I trust.com. 40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back to 40 Acres and a Fool from the Blaze Radio Network. Cam Edwards, your host. And over in uh, Scotland, the BBC has recently aired a 12 part series, which is longer, frankly, than some of my favorite uh, scripted shows from the BBC lasted. Uh, this farming life, it aired on BBC Two back in March and April, uh, 1.7 million viewers for the uh, 12-part series, This Farming Life, focused on six farming families, according to the website thescottishfarmer.co.uk, uh, who lived and worked on very different farms all over Scotland. The uh, program, apparently well-received by farmers there in Scotland, also a pretty well-received by the, uh, the wider British public, uh, the Scottish farmer, says that many people uh, who watched said that it had given them the most detailed look that they ever had uh, into 
the world of farming. Maybe we could uh, get the miniseries over here so that the uh, folks in uh, New York State protesting the Benner Farm could uh, get a better idea, apparently, of what goes on when they're not outside of a farm protesting. I'm glad to see this. You know, it's it's interesting. We don't really... I'm trying to think of the last time that we had anything like that on TV here. Even as far as the uh, reality genre goes, you don't really have anything. I mean, Duck Dynasty is uh, a, a, a you know a rural-based show, but um, they're not farmers. Um, I can't think of any farm-based reality shows. This, by the way, is is not a pitch. When we first moved, actually, uh, to the farm, I, I entertained the idea of a uh, of a show because I, I thought it would be interesting to explore, you know, sort of the um, Green Acres meets uh, Duck Dynasty. You know, the the the, the family uh, that moves to the farm from the suburbs and then uh, starts their life and doesn't really know what the hell they're doing. I, I thought that would make a pretty interesting reality show. And I still think that it would. I just don't want to be the family that actually is in that reality show. <laughs> someone, someone else can do it. Uh, and what was, what was really interesting is when I started talking about this idea with a couple of people that I know in TV, invariably the reaction that I got was, oh, that'd be really interesting. You don't want to do this. You you don't you don't want to do this, uh, and by this they meant you don't want to have a reality show. You don't want to be a part of a reality show. You don't want to go anywhere near that. And I heard that from enough people who work uh, as producers and behind the scenes that I, I thought to myself, okay, <laughs> maybe I really don't want this because there was no big driving passion of I have to be a reality TV star. Like that wasn't my purpose. My purpose was I thought this would be an interesting story to tell. And I realized after talking with some people that um, while that is a consideration for the making of a television show, that is not the only consideration that goes into the making of a television show. So you might have a great idea. There might be a great story to tell also doesn't mean that you are going to be the one telling that story, right? And what likely would have happened if we had decided to uh, go down that reality TV route is that uh, we, we probably would not have, um, well, we certainly wouldn't have started off in the uh, position that the Robertson family is in right now. But even the Robertson family uh, don't get to control every uh, shot. They don't get to determine uh, how they're portrayed. A&E, famously, when uh, A&E started running Duck Dynasty, they they thought that people would watch to make fun of this family, not identify with them. That was their mindset. They were just proven wrong. So uh, when the folks who uh, work in the industry who I know said, it's a great idea for somebody not not you. <laughs> or just, I think it was more a matter of uh, we're friends. I like you. I don't want to see you get sucked into that reality TV world. Definitely gave me pause. And uh, that's one of the reasons why we do a podcast instead. We can still talk about our misadventures, uh, but we don't have all of the extraneous and often created drama uh, that you would find on a reality show, which is fine because we have enough unscripted drama happening on a fairly regular basis on the farm that uh, I'm okay without any scripted drama. 
Back to that Scottish documentary, though, for a second. Do you think there's anybody protesting these Scottish farms when they figured out how haggis gets made? Or do you think uh, they've just left it alone? Haven't heard about any protests there in the small Scottish farms. I'm just wondering, because apparently we're protesting flipping everything now. Meanwhile, in England, there is another story. I'm not saying you could never see this story in the United States, but I think it'd be much less likely to see a story like this in the United States. Uh, This is from uh, fwy.co.uk. Masked quad bike gangs terrorize Yorkshire farmers. Farmers say gangs of quad bikers are illegally riding over their land, causing thousands of pounds worth of damage to crops in a rural crime wave that is spiraling out of control. Other crimes that landowners have suffered in recent weeks include deer lamping, hair coursing, sheep worrying, fly grazing, and lambs being shot. Farmers complain that after they telephone police to report crime, by the time officers arrive, it is too late and the offenders have already fled. Stephen Smith, the owner of Grange Farm, a 75-hectare mixed beef and arable farm in Stirrup, south of Doncaster, said farmers are fighting back by digging trenches around fields to prevent access. They're erecting concrete barriers around gates. Seriously. He said more has to be done. He called on the South Yorkshire police to intervene and carry out sting operations to catch offenders in the act. Mr. Smith said quad bikers are making our lives a misery around here. It's absolute hell. Sometimes they're in convoys of 20 on roads with no helmets, wearing balaclavas to uh, hide their identity. They access fields in the daytime, rampaging across fields, doing donuts on the crops. He said, personally, I lost 4,000 pounds worth of winter wheat in one incident when it snowed. They think farm fields are playgrounds. In the evenings, they go lamping and chase deer around fields, exhausting them and then killing them with their guns. They have no respect for the law whatsoever. We've brought it up with the police, but they're nowhere to be seen. I didn't think I didn't think you could have guns in England. Paul Barnes, a farm manager at Bawtree Farms, which is a 1,300-hectare uh, f- mixed farm in Surlby, said that the uh, bike gangs had smashed through fences to get access to fields. Said the team digging out ditches to uh, try to keep unwanted people off the land. He's even resorted to spreading poultry manure in strategic places in fields to keep the quad bikers off. He says it's doing a job in one way. By uh, putting nutrients and organic matter in the soils, also the quad bikers don't like it when they get it on their bikes. (laughs) Now, Mr. Barnes, too, says that he regularly logs crimes by calling uh, police, but he did not feel the police were following up reports of incidents. He says, we get quad bikes coming on fields at all hours. You'll call 101, which I guess is the uh, 911 there. And the uh, PCSOs, the, uh, the local police, come around two hours later. They've said no stingers can be activated due to public liability and health and safety reasons. I, I, I'm sorry, I can't help you with the, the stinger. Uh, one farmer from Hatfield, England, said gangs operating in the area were, quote, out of control. Police were not doing enough to catch them. He said there's not a field in the area that hasn't been done with quad bikes. There are tracks all over the place. He says I caught one quad bike gang pulling my fence down. I pushed one of them in a ditch, and then I got locked up. He says the police don't seem to be bothered. They come around on a bicycle, but they don't have any authority. They need to catch these people. Meanwhile, the uh, South Yorkshire police budget for 2015-2016 has been cut by 5%. Uh, Farmers Weekly there in the uh, United Kingdom has asked the uh, South Yorkshire police for comment, but they haven't gotten one. National Farmers Union President Murug Raymond has written to the British Treasury to demand more action from government to tackle rural crime. Best of luck with that. I don't think it's likely to happen. But again, I'm not sure that you would see a story like this in the United States. Are you? 
Because I'm guessing that uh, quad bike gangs here in the United States um, aren't likely to go a trespassing on uh, people's property when they know that uh, people uh, can protect themselves and defend their property. Unlike uh, in England, where apparently you call the police, you wait several hours for them to arrive on a bicycle, and then they uh, fill out a report, and nothing at all happens while your livelihood uh, is damaged or destroyed. And again, uh, note, note, by the way, that uh, there, there are guns involved here with these uh, quad bike gangs. I'm still trying to figure out how that's even possible, given the uh, British gun laws. But uh, we'll keep our eyes on that story. Let you know if uh, there actually are ever any arrests there in South Yorkshire, or if this ends up spreading. Because here's the thing. I mean, rural law enforcement, not just in the United States, but uh, around the world, a lot of governments are dealing with budget issues. And uh, the, the rural areas, I think, end up getting affected first. They uh, often end up feeling more severe effects. And I would not be surprised if, um, you know, other miscreants and uh, other folks who uh, uh, think that it's, you know, just a, a gag to uh, uh, tear down a, f- a fence and go off into a field and go running around in your uh, four-wheelers. I, I, if, if, if people know that they can get away with it, I would not be surprised if we see more of it. All right, we're going to take a quick time out when we come back. We've got more 40 Acres and a Fool from the Blaze Radio Network, including some of your thoughts. So stick around. We'll be back with more right after this. 40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards on the Blaze Radio Network. Don't miss the Morning Blaze with Doc and Skip. Puerto Rico has right now... $72 billion in debt. Congress has decided they are going to step in. Congress, who is $19 trillion in debt. I wish Puerto Rico would step in and how to teach us how to only be $72 billion in debt. That would be fantastic. The Morning Blaze with Doc and Skip. Weekday morning, 6 to 9 Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network. 40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards on the Blaze Radio Network. So last week, we talked a little bit about a, a, a history hack, right? Um, kind of a cheap, easy way to maybe get somebody interested in uh, history through the use of old magazines. Uh, you can find whatever subject you want. I mean, you know, old copies of American Riflemen are going for 4 to $5 on eBay. Uh, I picked up an old issue of Life magazine recently. That's what sort of started the whole thing. But, you know, old copies of National Geographic uh, and, and whatnot. I heard from uh, Jeff up in New York State who says, uh, I downloaded your latest podcast and I know you love history, so I thought that I would share mine with you. My ancestors in 1626 purchased Manhattan for $24. That was on my mother's side of the family. On my, uh, or on my father's side of the family. On my mother's side, Jeff says, I'm a direct relative to William Tecumseh Sherman as well. You know, Jeff, I have, I, I've got to introduce you to uh, one of your relatives because I know another listener, longtime listener to uh, NRA News Cam and Company, uh, Elmo out in uh, Ohio, who I've had the opportunity to meet a couple of times, and he too is a, a direct relative to William Tecumseh Sherman. So I, I feel like I could now put together a, a mini family reunion here. That's awesome. 
Uh, Jeff says, the reason why I bring this up is because you talked about on that last podcast, Old Magazines, and you and Miss E mentioned National Geographic in the first place that you saw naked people. Jeff says, I'm 54, and I remember those magazines. Then you mentioned Old Time Magazines. He says, when my father passed away in 2007, I received a box that contained several magazines from a, uh, a magazine called Liberty from 1938. And Jeff actually attached... Uh, a picture of the, uh, the the front page of one of these magazines, uh, June 18th, 1938, Liberty, five cents. You've got a uh, pinup model in a uh, swimsuit and high heels. Boy, some things never change, do they? Hanging on to uh, looks like the, the uh, some sort of a rope on a boat. Uh, the uh, headlines, I was rejuvenated. How science made me younger. Practical jokes that Lindbergh played by Major Thomas Lanfear, his flying friend. How much is a ball player worth by Joe DiMaggio? And Rendezvous at Arms, a novel of contraband love by Charles Francis Coe. That's cool, Jeff. That is really, really cool. Jeff also was sent along a uh, copy of his great-great-great-uncle's discharge paperwork from 1863. He says, just a way to keep history alive. That is awesome, Jeff, and I'm glad that you have these things. Uh, and I'm, I'm really glad that you're sharing uh, these things as well. Jeff says, uh, I enjoy the podcast. Again, I thank you and Miss E for making my free time enjoyable. I'm counting down the days when we can plant our garden there in uh, New York. And Jeff, thank you for writing in. This really is truly uh, cool. And now I'm, I'm very curious about Liberty Magazine. I have to do, I want to do more research. I want to find out more about uh, Liberty Magazine. You know, the the magazines that uh, aren't around anymore. Like when my, I said last week when my mom passed away, uh, some of, in her belongings, there were some old uh, teen magazines. I don't think they belonged to her. My mom was a little old for the Dig magazine. I think that they actually belonged to my uh, aunt, her younger sister, uh, who passed away a few years ago as well. But to read these teen magazines uh, from the 1950s, and, you know, there's, there, there's is right when Elvis first came out. And so there are these stories about this young guy named Elvis. Uh, and and it was the, you know, it, it was very reminiscent to the, uh, the, the Tiger Beat stories of, you know, the Corys, uh, if you're a person in your 40s. And you remember, you know, Corey Haim and Corey Feldman, uh, or, you know, whatever the little teeny bopper, uh, Bieber would be a great example of this, right? The teen mags in uh, Bieber a few years ago when Bieber was first coming on. They're, they're, they weren't writing about Elvis as Elvis. <laughs> they were writing about Elvis as somebody who might compete one day with Pat Boone's popularity. Uh, and it's just fascinating to kind of see that context. But to read the the uh, the personal ads that the teens were posting with their phone numbers at the back of a magazine uh, to read the letters to the editor and to read what teenagers were, were concerned about back then. You know, we, we think of the fifties, like 1957, it's, it's sock hops and it's uh, Bobby socks and, 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 you know, cool cars and cruising and like, that's it. You read these letters to the editor and they're talking about teen pregnancy. They're talking about uh, abusive boyfriends. They're talking about uh, uh, alienation from their parents. I mean, it's, it, it it's um, kind of shows the the universal uh, disenchantment uh, that uh, adolescents often have towards the world around them, and maybe that never changes. Maybe if we could find like medieval vellum bound books written by adolescents, they would be talking about. Uh, 
Dad wants me to be a knight, but all I really want to do is play the lute. Something like that. Anyway, I appreciate uh, you writing in, Jeff. Also, uh, let's see. Uh, We heard from our friends in Tahlequah, Oklahoma, at the uh, Pecan Grove Farm and Garden. Said uh, they've added a few more critters to the farm. Ten more chickens, straight run, and uh, two ducks. Hoping for more hens than roosters. I'll keep my fingers crossed for you on that. That's always kind of iffy. Uh, A friend in Claremore, Oklahoma, raises them. Any suggestions on how to introduce new chicks to our current flock of two? Yeah, well, if you've added 10 uh, and you've got uh, two, it's really more a matter of introducing the two to the uh, to the 10, because I imagine the 10 are going to take over. Now, I don't know how old your chickens are. Uh, if you're chicks, it really shouldn't be that big a deal. Um, but if they're a little bit older, I'll tell you what we do, because uh, we recently had friends who had to get rid of their chickens because their dog kept chasing them to the point that they were dropping dead from terror. Uh, so we introduced five new hens. Uh, and so what we do is we lock them up in the coop basically for a couple of days. Now, the, 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 this is the right time of year to do it. The coop doesn't get too hot during the day. Um, just keep them in there. You give them food. You give them water. But you don't let them out for maybe two days or so. Uh, that way, the new chickens get used to their surroundings. The uh, chickens that are there get used to their uh, new roommates. And after that... Um, we usually let them out and we don't really, we typically don't have a problem, uh, with the chickens finding their way back. I I will say with this latest bunch of five, there were a few nights where after we had done this, we locked them up for two days, let them out. The next night we thought, we thought we were one or two short. And then the next morning we see a couple of chickens come wandering across the yard. Um, they finally have it now. We haven't had any issues like that, but we did have to lock them up again for a few more days. Just, you know, again, make sure they've got uh, food and water while they're in there and uh, they'll be fine. And it really shouldn't take that long for them to adapt uh, to their new home. Now, Sean at uh, Pecan Grove also says we are two weeks away from taking Smokey, our bacon seed, to be processed. This time of year, he says there is a waiting list for the reputable processors. Uh, What do you use to finish your pigs before processing, Sean wonders. I've been told to feed them grains for the last few weeks before processing. I assume this means wheat, oats, corn, etc. Uh, is there anything specific that you do? He says, I've also been told to fast them for the last 24 hours, uh, only water. He says, I know we used to fast our rabbits before processing because then you have a clean digestive tract, which could contaminate the meat if it uh, breaks open, and the liver cleans and detoxifies uh, while fasting. This works for humans as well, by the way, says Sean. Yeah, that's why you want to do it, uh, just to make it a little bit cleaner and uh, neater for you as far as the uh, the processing goes. You know, as far as finishing our pigs, uh, so back in the fall, we were finishing them off on acorns because we had a lot of acorns around. Um, but we've we've also, we've, we've, we've processed hogs and we haven't really, quote unquote, finished them off on anything. And I, I'll be honest with you, I'm Look, I'm sure there's a difference, but I couldn't taste it, Sean. Really, honestly, I I, I couldn't taste the uh, difference between the hogs that we had uh, finished off with acorns and the hogs that we just had processed that didn't have finished off at all. Uh, it was all tasty, tasty, tasty bacon. Okay, so Sean has a couple of other uh, comments as well on uh, tomato blight. He says, if you have tomato blight... Try adding pre-1982 pennies. 
into the stems of the affected plant. He says some people wrap bare copper wire around the stems and then they stick the ends of the wire into the stem. Now, why you want pre-1982 pennies, John says, is because the copper content uh, is actually higher. He says you can also plant pennies with the seeds to help the blight, though it is not as effective. Pennies also help to deter slugs. He says, I thought this was weird too, but it works. Uh, He says, remember too that potatoes and tomatoes are from the same family, nightshade family, also in that group, eggplants and tobacco and blight will affect any of these plants. Yeah, we're aware of that, Sean. Thank you. I appreciate that. Unfortunately, uh, we are well aware. So the tomatoes and the, and the potatoes have to go elsewhere in the uh, garden this week. But uh, the penny idea is interesting. I, 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 I've heard about uh, using copper for slugs. I had not heard about using copper for uh, tomato blight. Sean also says, a suggestion for Miss E, when you make your hot sauce... Try making a small batch using roasted peppers and garlic, and you will discover a whole new realm of flavors. He says, we had at one time 30 different varieties of peppers growing here. I love growing them. However, due to flooding issues the past few seasons, we lost most of our crops. So we're going to be scaling down this season. He says, for a wonderful flavor addition, I suggest trying lemon peppers. He says, they range from 350,000 to 500,000 on the Scoville scale, and they have a distinctive citrus flavor compared to the earthiness of the jalapeno and bell peppers. Sean signs off with, as always, have a better day. And Sean, thank you, sir. I think I will have a better day. I'm a little bit more informed. I'm a little bit more entertained after having read your email. So I appreciate you writing in. All right, we're going to step away for just one more quick timeout. We'll be back here on 40 Acres and a Fool from the Blaze Radio Network right after this. 40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards on the Blaze Radio Network. The Jeff Fisher Show. Springsteen canceled his show. His comment, it's the strongest means I have for raising my voice in opposition to those who continue to push us backwards instead of forwards. Right, Bruce, because of the bathroom law, the HB2 in North Carolina. I can't use a bathroom that I feel like using. (laughs) The Jeff Fisher Show. Saturday morning, 6 to 8 Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back to 40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back to 40 Acres and a Fool here on the Blaze Radio Network. Cam Edwards with you for uh, one more segment. You know, typically we talk about books or at least a segment here on the uh, program. Uh, So I just finished reading a book. I I doubt anybody will read this. I'm not even sure I could really recommend it. Um, Jay Morgan, excuse me, Ted Morgan is the author. Uh, the book is about Jay Lovestone, who was, nobody knows who Jay Lovestone was. He was actually awarded the uh, Presidential Medal of Freedom by Ronald Reagan, which was the uh, is the nation's highest honor that can be given to a civilian uh, for his work in fighting communism. He was a, uh, he worked in the labor movement for 30 years or so and, and helped keep communism uh, at bay uh, within the labor movement. He actually was one of those guys who started out as a communist, who was very involved in the American Communist Party uh, from the the founding uh, throughout the 1920s, ultimately uh, ended up getting kicked out of the uh, Communist Party, ran across the Stalin's bad side. So easy to do that with a uh, guy like Joseph Stalin and uh, ended up 
for a couple of years, uh, tried to kind of hang on, uh, tried to get back in the Communist Party, and then realized, you know, there, there's no saving this thing. Uh, so it was an interesting book. Uh, like I said, I'm not really sure that I could recommend it uh, if you are a, a fan of the history of the labor movement uh, in the, let's say, the 1950s through the 1980s. You might find it interesting. I thought that part kind of dragged. Um, Lovestone was a, an interesting guy. He worked for the CIA for a number of decades. He, uh, he was an interesting fella. But um, it, it, it there wasn't quite enough meat, I think, in the book to really uh, hold my attention. There was kind of a, a drag. And then, uh, so my friend Jim Garrity and I had dinner with our mutual friend um, Marshall, who used to be on NRA News Cam and Company way back when. He was working for the Center for Individual Freedom. Now he's over in London. And he only gets back here a couple of times a year. So we had lunch or had dinner last night. And Marshall, who I consider to be uh, one of the smartest guys I know, we're, we're talking about what's going on in the world. And he said, so let me ask you, he said, are, are you on Twitter as much as you were uh, six months ago? I said, no. And he said, are you on Facebook as much as you were six months ago? So I, I, I've quit Facebook. I said, I'm, I'm kind of coming back, maybe. Uh, but no, not nearly as much. He said, is it as, is it as fun as it was? And no, no, it's not. Um, he, he's convinced that uh, Twitter is actually in real trouble. Because it's not growing. There are not a lot of new users going to uh, Twitter and staying with Twitter, in part because Twitter is an awful place for a lot of people. Uh, and uh, Marshall thinks this is having an impact. So we're talking about uh, books to read. I mentioned uh, Jaron Lanier's uh, You Are Not a Gadget. And I said, you really should read this uh, Read this book. I think that you would like it. He recommended a book by uh, Nico Mele called The End of Big. Now, Nico Mele is a lefty. He actually was the one who uh, ended up running Howard Dean's website back in the 2004 campaign. He now teaches at, uh, at Harvard. Uh, I, I, about halfway through the, the end of Big, I, I started last night, couldn't put it down. I don't agree with everything. I certainly don't agree with Nico Mele's uh, politics. And, and the book itself does have to be, I do have to tell you, like it came out in 2013. Uh, he bashes the Tea Party. He bashes... You know, all of the Republicans that you would think that he would bash. There's no bashing of Alan Grayson. There's no bashing of any uh, weird lefties. There's no bashing of Bernie Sanders. Or none of that. This is a, it is a quietly partisan book. Uh, but I still think that there's something to get out of it. The, the basic premise uh, of Nico Melli's book, The End of Big, is that we are witnessing the end of big. These big institutions, uh, whether it's the government, the news industry, uh, the entertainment industry, all of these uh, old ways of doing things in the old institutions are falling apart because of uh, what Mele calls radical connectivity. The fact that we can connect with almost anybody in the world at any time uh, instantaneously now and how the barriers to uh, communication have come down. Uh, it is this sort of uh, wild new world and a lot of these old and big structures uh, cannot compete. The problem is that uh, while Nico Melli talks about the end of big, he also talks about the rise of even bigger. So it's not that the end of big necessarily means the rise of small, uh, although it, 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 in some ways it does. You know, this, this podcast audience is a uh, micro audience compared to, let's say, Glenn Beck's national radio audience. But this is still a community that, uh, that we've developed here around 40 Acres and a Fool. 
however, it is on the SoundCloud platform, right? Uh, at some point, uh, you know, we might even do a YouTube video or two. You can catch up with us on Twitter. Uh, if I get back on Facebook, you can follow us on Facebook as well. Like there are all of these even bigger institutions that these small things are a part of. And the even biggers that are replacing the bigs, uh, they don't always have the the same uh, goals as the old big institutions used to have. And they don't have a lot of the transparency that some of the old institutions used to have. Now, some of the old institutions need to be a little bit more transparent as well. Uh, anyway, I'm about halfway through the book. It is, uh, it, it's, it's interesting. It's not a big, weighty uh, academic tome. Every chapter is, you know, like the, the future of big entertainment or big news. And there's 15 pages or so of here, here are the, here's what's, here are the disruptions. Here's what's happening. Uh, here's what's going wrong. And then here's how we might possibly make things better. Melly um, is not particularly optimistic about the future and what it holds with the uh, the end of big. Although I will say this, I thought the most interesting chapter that I read so far was about the end of big government. Because anybody hears any time you hear someone on the left writing about the end of big government, <laughs> that's enough to give you pause, right? Uh, and it's not that uh, Nico Melli is writing about uh, taking down the you know social security system or the entitlements or things of that nature. It's it's kind of a flawed. Uh, purpose is basically just that uh, no 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 big structural changes. Just that there needs to be more empowerment for uh, more local governments, since that is where we uh, typically feel uh, government most often, right at the local level as opposed to the uh, state or federal level. Anyway, it's uh, it. it I, I was going to say it's worth checking out. Hold off on that. Let me finish the book. <laughs> I'll give you a full review. Uh, but I have to say, reluctantly. I, I can't recommend uh, Jay Lovestone, A Covert Life by Ted Morgan. Like I said, unless you're really, really interested in the uh, anti-communism movement, you're really, really interested in the labor movement, or you are really, really interested in obscure history, then you'd probably find it fascinating. All right, that about does it for this edition of 40 Acres and a Fool from the Blaze Radio Network. I hope you have a fantastic week. Get outside, do some gardening. It is spring turkey season as well, so... We would love to hear about your adventures. You can email us, as always, 40acrefool at gmail.com, 40acrefool at gmail.com. Until we talk again, be safe, have fun, live a little, learn a lot, and we'll see you here soon with another edition of 40 Acres and a Fool from the Blaze Radio Network. You're listening to 40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards on the Blaze Radio Network.